Introducing The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, the podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the captivating realm of custom technology. Join us as we unveil the sensational tales of Nashville's very own dynamic duo of AV designers. Don't miss out on this thrilling auditory expedition into the mesmerizing world of custom technology. Well, welcome to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan. And I'm extremely, extremely excited. And I say this every single episode, and I'm not lying yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> About today's topic, uh, which is control systems. Woo! There it is. There it is. Uh, we have in our industry a lot of rabbit trails that we can go down. And there is none bigger, wider, deeper, farther <laughs> that you can go down <laughs> <laughs> than control systems. And we're going to define them. And uh, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about some of the main benefits. We're going to talk about why you would want a control system, what some of the things are that really makes it a unique uh, category. We're going to talk about it more from a usage perspective. And we're going to talk about it also in the types of categories of other things that it can integrate with. So you kind of get an overall topography. And so right off the bat, I just want to say this is not going to be a deep dive of technicals, although we'll get into some that we kind of have to. Uh, but most importantly is we're going to always try and tie this back to a usage or to an experience. Uh, Mark, maybe to kick it off. Uh, how would you define a control system? Sure. I kind of want to go back and start when, when I started. You know, when I started in this industry, uh, a control system to me was a remote that do away with multiple remotes. So essentially just a universal remote. And a lot of times it was a Logitech Harmony remote. And that was, you know, the fullest extent of a control system that you would get into on more basic solutions. Uh, but nowadays, it's kind of where I lead most of my projects when when we're first meeting up. Because ultimately, if we put in a system and there are eight different remotes or eight different apps on your phone that you've got to go between, did I really make your life easier or did I really make the system easier to use? No, because you've got to jump between multiple apps, multiple remotes. So a control system, you know, at its core kind of simplifies multiple applications or devices or experiences into one unique experience that you utilize either on a physical remote or a tablet or smartphone or something along those lines. Without getting too technical, that's kind of the biggest overview that I could describe it as. Yeah, and, and you said it right. It makes everything happen in one place. Instead of having a, a bunch of different things to worry about, uh, we simplify the process, and I think as we kind of delve a little bit more into it, you'll realize that control systems that are not easy to use kind of go against the whole purpose of their existence. That is why you look at a control system is to make it easier. And I'll give you a quick analogy. If I was to look at the way that I do steering in my car, if it was hard to do, right, guess mm -hmm. what? how we actually operate that vehicle. If that was difficult, nobody would drive cars. 
right? And not only would it be, <laughs> I know that sounds so silly, but like, you couldn't do it, right? Right. We'd all be walking everywhere. We would, and maybe good for our health, but not great for <laughs> the modern economy. So maybe it's it, it's good to talk a little bit about the history because mm-hmm. I think there's uh, another backstory that is really beneficial. And the first time that it was told to me, it sort of put things in the right category in, in my brain. And so uh, you've heard of Bill Gates, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Who hasn't? <laughs> Back in the 90s, there were stories that started surfacing in technology communities about some of the cool things that he was doing with technology, which you would expect. And it was things like uh, you'd walk into a room and the artwork would change based upon the person that was in the room. And the temperature would change based upon the person that was in the room. And the lights would change and everybody had these preset preferences, right, for all of these things that would happen. And this idea was like, oh, yeah, well, that's fantasy, right? You got to make billions upon billions of dollars in order to do something like that. And, we'll, oh, we should all be so lucky. Crestron was one of those companies they started in 1972, and they were doing Dang. these types of systems using serial control. And so when you really go back and you look at the history of control, you start to realize, well, no wonder it took a lot of money because they had to run wire for all of these things. <laughs> and they had to do you know, a lot of work in terms of the programming to get a device to respond to a software program. And so it was really cutting edge at the time. But I mean, if you fast forward now, I mean, when was the last time you used a serial control, Mark? <laughs> um, other than maybe on a uh, uh, like a television or a receiver every once in a while, depending on just the type of control that we need or that it can, you know, that it likes to respond to, rarely. Yeah, like we just, the industry kind of shifted and the modern control system you know, 2000, early 2000s, Control 4 and Savant, those companies started coming out realizing, you know, what you used to have to spend a quarter of a million dollars or more to do a Crestron system for an entire house, you could do for 10 or 20% of the cost with the modern application and modern technologies. And so does that mean that there's still going to be a cost? Yeah, 20, 30, $40,000? Yeah. I, it, it's it's not an inexpensive uh, conversation. That being said, by comparison to what it used to be and what it still can be in some cases, it's actually very reasonable. I, I think it's it's important to kind of get this concept of it's going to be a luxury style product, and that's okay. Sometimes that's what we want. <laughs> right, right. You know, we both utilize... Uh savant pretty you know, a lot um and i i personally have it in my home and prior to that i was just using harmony remotes and the different apps for your different devices but when i got into savant five or six years ago it literally simplified everything for my wife and when my family was here i mean we're i'm technically minded i could use 15 remotes if i had to because i know how i hooked it up and whatnot but when my wife can come home and she can be walking in the door and hit a scene that she's created it's a game changer or if my parents are here and they can see the apple logo on the remote and know that when they hit the apple logo it's going to turn on the apple device for them to watch television it just makes my life a lot easier too you know knowing that i don't have to be there to support them every five minutes 
And you were talking about the costs of some of these systems. Yes, if you build a new home and you want to start with every room of the house automated, you're going to spend a lot of money. But if you're in what most of us are in, which is kind of a, a maybe an upgrade uh, time right now where you're going to remodel a room or maybe you're going to do like a media space or something along those lines. A lot of these companies have affordable entry tier options for you to be able to automate that one room and see how you like it. And then you can grow with it as you, as you go versus having to spend 40 or 50 or whatever thousands of dollars to, to do it all at once. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I agree with you. And, and quite honestly, that's what I have. I didn't spend 40 grand. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I still work for a living, so let's be honest. I can't, uh, you know, <laughs> just, but that's exactly how we got started. And it's the same thing. My wife and my kids can use an otherwise more complex system, and they don't have to worry about the processor and the amp and what the source is and which wires connected to what and all of those baskets full of remotes that, you know, are normally going to sit you know, out on the, on the coffee table. And I know we've, we've, we've picked on that a bunch of times, but it goes back to it. If it's not easy, you're not going to use it. And so what was the point? And on the cost, you, you think like where a control system really starts is around 1500. So if you're going to do a media room and let's say you have a 10 to a $15,000 budget for a nice media room. Okay. You're talking about 10% of the cost. So we're not saying all of your eggs need to go into one basket. No, it just needs to be part of that solution and part of that experience. Uh, we've kind of said make it easy, which is, I think, phenomenal because that's really the main thing that control will solve. What's another reason why you might want to go to a control system from a more practical perspective? Sure. So in a lot of these newer homes, I mean, a lot of what I do anyway is more focused around aesthetics. I know we've talked about it in several previous episodes, but that's what control systems can assist you with as well. So just had a project today and we're about to start install in the next week or so. And we have 16 display connections. We have 90 speakers around this home that we were able to bring to one centralized location that's kind of hidden out of the, the normal walk paths that you would go through when if you were visiting the home. So being able to locate that equipment to where it's not just sitting in a cabinet underneath your display or worse, sitting in a closet somewhere that now I can't use that coat closet because I have a rack full of equipment there, we're able to kind of pick and choose where we want that equipment to be located. This home that I'm describing is a 7,000 square foot home. You know, yeah, we had to wire across the, uh, the entire house, fiber and ethernet and other things. But again, aesthetically, the client is super happy because all the equipment's hidden away. Yeah. And I think there's, from a very practical perspective, the remote control is not going to work through the walls. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to point a remote control behind you to hit equipment in order to operate your room. If you hold a remote in your hand, you want to be able to push a button and it does what it's supposed to do in an intuitive and simple and easy way. And so, you know, we're just going to put that equipment someplace else. We're going to hide it away. We're going to keep it clean. And you've kind of also touched a little bit on the idea of scale. At a certain point in your electronics design, certain things stop making sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you don't want to have 15 receivers trying to power a distributed audio system. There's no reason for you to invest in HDMI boards and video processing if all you're going to be doing in certain rooms is music. And so as you start going through looking at the design, as soon as you get beyond one or two rooms, you get into that third or fourth room, you start realizing there's got to be a better way, a more efficient way to design this from a product perspective and from a longevity perspective. Most control systems are designed to last, you know, eight, nine, ten years. And so you're looking at a much longer term kind of an investment, which is part of the reason why the cost is where it is, is because we're looking at this from the opposite side of that coin saying we want to be able to knock out three, four, five, ten rooms and have all that equipment hidden away so we don't have to look at it. So, Right. Now that we have some of that basic groundwork laid, what are some of the elements of a control system? Just the parts and pieces that you'll talk about. Where do you start to, to break out? Sure. So like any system that's going to run on you know, a computer, you're going to have essentially three to four different levels in most cases from a lot of your manufacturers. As you go to your higher end, like the Crestrons, you may only see one or two options, but the Control 4s, the Savants, you have typically multi-tiers of brains or hosts, but those are going to kind of dictate what you plan on doing now and also in the future. So, for instance, we spoke about Savant earlier, and not to get too deep into it, but Savant has a what they call single room solution, which is designed for really one room of control, but can be expanded up to four to six rooms of audio video control. Uh, they have a mid tier, which is kind of expanding up to 12 rooms. And then you have a top tier and then an Uber tier. We'll call yeah. it, we'll call it an Uber <laughs> tier, right? Uh, I love it. So it just depends on the size of your space. Uh, in my experience in the past with systems like control for it was kind of the same thing, like single room, kind of multi-room control, and then your whole house type thing. When you're speaking with your integrator, your designer, whoever you're working with, we need to kind of have that conversation up front. Like, hey, what are your plans, not just today, but in the future? What do you want to do? Do you want to be able to press a button and turn every light off across the whole house? Do you want to be able to hit a scene that says, play my favorite song and the lights dim to a certain level and your favorite song starts playing? Or are we just talking about maybe control in this room and maybe a couple of light switches in the spaces surrounding it? You know, that's what's going to kind of dictate the direction that you go. Yeah, and I like the fact that you kind of broke it down that way, which is they have a main purpose, which is to be kind of an overlay system. They're there to make the other devices work well, and so however many other devices need to be controlled or operated will determine how much processing power you're going to need. And so it's one of those things where if you can plan ahead a little bit, not a, doesn't have to be dramatic, but yeah, over the next two or three years, we're going to do the outside, we're going to add a pool, or we're going to finish off a media room upstairs, or we're going to add on this uh, outdoor living space, and we're going to do a kitchen, and you sort of already know that that's going to happen in the next six months to a year, or 18 months, or whatever it is. Let's plan appropriately and do the work once, you know, get the right host in there uh, to make sure that you're set up and ready to go for the long term, do it right the first time. 
speaking earlier about, you know, how I have that conversation with this stuff up front. Prior to the pandemic, my go-to was that $1,500-ish processor. Yep. You know, after the pandemic and as more folks spent more time and money at home, I've done more of the pro series version, not the Uber series processor, because folks are wanting to do more and more of those things. So, Well, and I think that there should be a, a clear distinction between the cost of a system and the cost of the control system. And I had this conversation a little while ago, which was somebody was given a couple of different bids and they came in and, you know, we're talking about what some of the options and you know, quite frankly, the client didn't know what he was looking at. And he saw some dollar signs and he saw some figures and he goes, oh, I'm going to spend what on what? <laughs> right. And as we yep. started breaking it down, it was like, right. So we're going to do these rooms. And so you've got 10 different areas and there's speakers in about 10 different areas and there's TVs in, you know, four or five areas. And we've got a lot of things that are, are going on. But as you start breaking it down, the control cost itself, the actual control system, was five grand. Now, he was looking at a $40,000 quote, but that's because there's TVs. That's because there's speakers. That's because there's amplifiers. That's because, and the actual control system cost was a very small portion of that. And so, I think it can be very confusing to a lot of folks in even other integrators because they will use the language as if it's all one system. It's like, you know, maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe it's better <laughs> for us to design it in such a way where the subsystem can be the subsystem. Let your speakers be whatever brand of speakers you want. Let the amplifier be the type of amplifier that you want to use and let the control system be the brain for that particular uh, operation and that gives you now the most flexibility as well. I agree. the The next kind of big part would be: Can you talk a little bit about the difference between that and what we're seeing as a big trend on the consumer do-it-yourself side, which is your uh, Alexa and your Google Homes and things like that? Because a lot of times we have these conversations, and it's like yeah, I've already got Google or yeah, I've already got Alexa and she controls that one light over there. And is that what you're talking about? And it's like, it sort of is, but at the same time, it sort of isn't. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I'm going to avoid saying the names because I have one here in my room. So uh, the Amazons <laughs> and the Google stuffs, they all give you the ability to kind of do some of or a lot of what these control systems will do. But in my experience, you know, being the technical person that I am, it's not as smooth of an experience, not just in using it, but also in setting it up in the first place. In my opinion, they can get pretty complex. And if you are a very complex person with a complex mind that loves to do that kind of stuff, I applaud you. But for me, I programmed my own control system and... Being able to do a lot of this stuff was as simple as dragging a line from one to the other and telling it this is what I'm hooking it up with and this is how I'm controlling it. Even with my Amazon devices today, there are some things that don't work the way I want them to simply because they don't give me the ability to fine-tune that or customize it to my space. You know, I've got uh, three different lights in my bedroom that it controls because I still have some Philips lights in there. 
and I have to basically say each individual light because one's on my wife's side of the bed, one's on my side of the bed, and one is behind our television. Versus with Savant, I now can say Amazon device, good night, and it turns all of those off at the same time. And I know that you can, again, you can get complex into scenes and other things, but that good night can also sync with my television, can also sync with any of the other devices in that space. So if my TV was on, maybe we were watching a movie, it now knows, hey, I need to turn the TV off versus if I only had the lights programmed in, uh, it's only going to turn those lights off. My TV is going to have to stay on and now I got to go in and use a remote or I've got to give it a separate command to turn off the television, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think you're kind of getting into the point, which is you get into the weeds so fast. That's yep. that's 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 it. This the you have to think through the logic. You have to think through every single potentiality of the usage of that system. And even if you can, sometimes you don't want to. And so it's like let's right. just get <laughs> a programmer, someone who does this all day every day, who's very good and very fast and very efficient at doing this to set up the control system for us. And if there's a specific thing that we want, then fantastic. Let's just let him set that up for us. And that kind of leads us to address the elephant in the room. It's a dealer-based system. And we have to understand that sometimes that's a really good thing, and sometimes it's not a good thing. It depends on who the customer is. You often have to look at it from this perspective, and I'm gonna take it out of control for a minute, and into the world of cars. I drive a Volkswagen diesel car. And I love that car. It's a great car. It does all sorts of really cool things. It was part of Dieselgate. It's been fixed. It's not a problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be very clear. To change the oil on that car, you have to put it on a lift. You have to take the tire off. And you have to uh, do this weird thing and change the oil filter. Now, could I do that myself? The short answer is, uh, yes, I could if I really had to. The other question is, do I want to? And the answer is no, I don't. <laughs> so I had the conversation with the salesman before I bought the car. He said, you're going to bring it into the dealer for oil changes. And I go, what? That's That seems crazy, man. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, before you freak out, I want you to know they're like 150 bucks for the oil change. And that includes the oil filter, okay? And before you freak out again, I want you to think about this for a minute. You only have to do it once every 10,000 miles. I, he said, if you just do some fast math, okay. if you only did a regular oil change, let's say you do a full synthetic at a Valvoline and you spend 60 bucks or 70 bucks or something like that, you have to do that three times before you hit 10,000 miles. You're going to spend less money in oil changes and do less work doing so when you look at this car. And so the question becomes not so much when you look at a control system and a dealer relationship, am I trying to pigeonhole somebody into one particular brand? And the answer is no. We're not trying to get you stuck with one particular brand for no reason, but we are trying to stand behind the product and verify and guarantee that it's going to work on your behalf. And if we don't do that, then we haven't done our jobs the right way. If I put something in your house that doesn't work, you're going to come back and you're say, hey, why doesn't this work? <laughs> and you don't want me to say, well, because Google didn't update or 
Amazon didn't update or this, that, and the, you don't want to hear that from me. And I don't want to have that conversation with you. <laughs> right. Right. The other part of that elephant in the room is that your, your system is only as good as the dealer that you choose. Right. Absolutely. So finding someone that's relationship driven versus, you know, wallet driven, I guess is the easiest way to put it is very important who you choose to do that work. And also a lot of clients that I've worked with will do research on, you know, our company and, and even, you know, I've had clients ask me straight up like, Hey, what, what kind of work can I expect from you? And I know you and I both go to bat for our guys all the time. Like we have the best team that I've ever worked with in the AV industry. And I, you know, I would throw hands if I had to, to defend some of these guys for the type of work they do. <laughs> Not that I'm uh, that I would do that anyway, but but no, seriously, like, you know, there's photos you can see on our website of some of the rack work that's done and the, the wire management and just the meticulous detail. That's important. And when it, if you've had a bad experience in the past as well, don't be afraid to give it a second chance, especially nowadays, because a lot of those things have gotten better. Yeah, the manufacturers, to their credit, have created just higher standards for the people that are going to be allowed to become dealers and distributors for their product. And that goes back to kind of the whole ethos, which is we want to do it right the first time. And so if we don't take that time to know what it is that we're doing and to correctly scope out a project and to make sure the installers are going to be doing work the correct way and the programmers are going to be doing work the correct way and we don't do those correct, you know, just due diligence steps, then you're going to end up in a situation where you think it's an industry problem instead of realizing, no, this is the better way to do something, <laughs> to be quite frank. Exactly. To kind of reinforce the point a little bit, if you want the TV to turn on, what are the three control methods that you could get a TV to turn on with, Mark? <laughs> yeah, so uh, your, your most traditional that we're all used to after, you know, just walking up and turning the knob on the TV or pushing the button in and out. Uh, <laughs> when it went to remote controls was infrared. So uh, a line of sight communication, which is still widely used today for the most part, other than some of your higher performance TVs, they now include a Bluetooth remote, but you know, it's Bluetooth one-to-one -one pairing of, uh, between the remote and your display. And the same thing with receivers and sources and everything else. A lot of them have a IR communication first. Uh, your second tier, and honestly, you know, we still use it from time to time, and we were mentioning it earlier, a serial connection. So two-way communication, meaning I can send a signal from my controller to that device. That device does what it's supposed to do and then tells my controller, hey, I did what I was supposed to do because you told me. Yeah, no, and I just want to cut you off for a second because you said something that I know is like a huge pet peeve of mine, which is you said the word controller. And I can guarantee you a thousand percent, every person who is not part of the industry already thought remote control. And so yep. I want to clarify that there are remotes and there are something called controllers, which are little black box brains that issue commands. And they are two different things. So when an AV guy says the word controller, he's not really meaning the handheld. He really means the brain that's doing the work, <laughs> telling devices what it is that they're supposed to do. And he's going to tell you that your remote is your remote. And they are, again, just two different. All right. So IR, we got it. Yep. Serial, yep. we got it. <laughs> What's the next one? Yep. It's funny. You you say uh, 
you say those things. I have a uh, a family friend of ours that calls them uh, a remote, calls them a commander. Oh, that's awesome. To this day. Anything that is a remote is a commander. A game controller is a commander. Uh, I always laugh at that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so thanks for the clarification. The third and kind of most widely used at this point is going to be IP control. So just like your home has an address outside on the, your mailbox, every device that we put in your home that's connected to your network gets its own address. And the system is able to send commands via that address in order to control those devices. Yeah. So that helps that helps out a lot of ways, right? Less wiring. I no longer have to hardwire the TV to the network and then run that serial connection separately. I can just literally plug the TV into the network and now I've got you know, essentially control over it depending on what television you choose. Yeah, ultimately the easiest, in my opinion, of the three. Uh, I would agree with you, and I think a lot more manufacturers are moving to IP control. And just to, again, clarify, Internet Protocol is what it stands for, which is that you're going to use the network. Everything is going network-based. Absolutely everything is network-based now. And so I would not be surprised to see certain technology communicators move away from serial control eventually. I don't think it's necessary right now, but I would not be surprised if at a certain point they just say, all right, that's an older technology. We're just not going to support it anymore. And you'll have IR and you'll have uh, IP and that'll be it. So yep. the purpose I, I was hoping that as we go through that to realize you could say, all right, so why do I care about having those three protocols <laughs> to be able to control things? And the answer is that we get to talk to each device in its own native language. And certain devices respond better when you use one control method versus another. Uh, cable boxes, for example, or direct TV boxes, or they don't really like IP control. As great of a technology as it is, they don't really care. Their whole game is to really rely on IR. And so if you're going to have a cable box or a direct TV box in your system, we want to control it with the language that it responds to the best, right? And then same kind of right. a thing, there are other devices that love IP control. You put a driver in the software, you hook them up to the network, and you move on, and everybody gets to res that immediate response. You push a button, things happen the way that you expect. And that's just one example of how a control system is designed at every single level for every single type of device that you're going to control. And you will never be able to know all of it ahead of time. You have to actually learn about the control system and you have to design the system accordingly so you have the control options available, which is why you have an integrator. So you don't have to sit there and think through how many IR ports are on this particular controller. You don't have to think about what type of receiver it is and what brand and what do they like and what do they not like and all this. You never have to worry about any of the things we just said, even though we're doing them, even though the work is being done, right? It's all being done on your behalf so you don't have to deal with it and you don't have to mess with it. And we can look at you you know, with clear conscience and say, we've done it the right way. We plugged it in. We wired it up the right way so that way it works every single time. And once you get a control system kind of humming and going and doing its thing, 
you don't really have to mess with it. <laughs> it just sort of nope. works <laughs> and does what it's supposed to do. <laughs> it's magic. Uh, it's a lot of work to make the magic happen. So, <laughs> All right, so we're going to do a segment called Surprise Tech, Surprise. where we will discuss each of us one thing that we found very surprising in the world of technology. So, Dan, what is your surprise tech? <laughs> so uh, I found some really, really cool automated door locks that okay. uh, I was unaware of normally when we do automated door locks uh, and these have been around a long time if you've ever stayed at an airbnb or anything like that i'm sure you've seen those but they have some now that i'm very excited about for patio doors it's been one of those few that we've never been able to do because they're not deadbolts and so you haven't had the ability to do a door lock uh, with uh, a patio a sliding patio door and so now that we have that as an option uh, Yale makes some they're absolutely fantastic you can get them in a bunch of different finishes can connect via Wi-Fi they can do Bluetooth there's obviously a touch panel keypad on them and I just thought that was fantastic I know it's an older style of technology but it's a new application and I'm just so so happy that we now finally have that as an option to uh, to offer to folks that is super cool that is super cool um, you're a great liar you know I, actually it's so uh my my surprise tech uh is actually something i learned earlier today i was talking with one of our engineers that's helping me, me with this project just kind of finalizing some things to give you a little bit of context of this project we have a centralized rack in a closet that's kind of off the beaten path like i was saying earlier but at the top of this space there's an exhaust fan and that it's pretty quiet it's just designed to kind of take any of the heat that's trapped up there even whether it's from the rack or from the the bar or outside doors being open on either side of this space if there's just some excess heat it's designed to remove it but today i learned that we actually have a one gang temperature sensor slash thermostat that lutron manufactures that goes in place of that light switch that controls the fan and we can have it programmed to set that when it when it reaches a certain temperature threshold to turn on the fan above the rack versus having to just automate it with our phone or just remember to go hit it, it's going to automatically turn on whenever it reaches a certain temperature of X degrees. But it looks like a one-gang light switch. It's actually pretty sweet. That is amazing. That is awesome. Yes. So you can automate the temperature... You have, so I'm going to say it again just so I get it clear. You have the sensor in the rack, and then that pairs with the fan keypad that is on the wall. So it currently is not inside of the rack. We're kind of working on that solution, but it's going to be above... Above the rack. The rack, so actually. That's awesome. Uh, slightly. Well, it's kind of above the middle part of the rack because it's you know the switch is still down low. But it's going to pull any heat from basically the middle of the room up and adjust the, the temperature accordingly. And if it's reaching, you know, X degrees down at the rack level, we're already going to want it turned on anyway. Yeah. So um, there was talk about doing some additional temp sensors towards the top of the rack, but we're talking maybe a foot difference between where the light switch ends and where the top of the rack is. So didn't make sense. Um, 
Well, is it an overhead rack or is it a in rack fan? It is. It's overhead. It's above the rack itself. So it's actually not made by the rack manufacturer. It's like an exhaust fan that you would see in a bathroom. Oh. But we can put in a Lutron thermostat switch that will automate and turn on when uh, when we want it to. So the fan just doesn't run constantly. You know, if it gets forgotten about, it'll turn itself off when it's cooler. Pretty awesome. All right. Uh, well, we've got a ton of stuff that we've talked about today in terms of in- introduction to control systems. Um, and we've picked a bunch of fights. And so if you want to yell at us, please do so. <laughs> At thesoundofdesign.com, we would love to hear from you. <laughs> and uh, in all seriousness, uh, please uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, share with your friends. Uh, and if you need a project done, feel free to reach out to us at thesoundofdesign.com. And with that. <laughs> oh, that's with me. That's okay. Oh, We're I was going to say again. with Mark. So this has been the Sound of Design <laughs> with Mark and Dan. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you guys on the next episode. See ya.